On today's show, we're talking to actor and series creator Alex Spieth, right here on No Rest for the Weekend. Hello and welcome to No Rest for the Weekend, uh, the show where we go behind the scenes and talk to the creators behind independent film and series. My name is Jason Godby and with me in the Rabbit Hole studio today is the creator and star of the series Blank My Life, Alex Spieth. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Welcome, Alex. Thank you for coming. We always appreciate it when uh, people schlep down to the studio here. (laughs) Um, So um, I just wanted to, we'll start right off the bat and have you give us a little bit about your background um, and like how you came to acting and how the series came about. Got you. Okay, so I came to acting pretty organically, as any child does. I went to go, well, not as any child does, but I went to go see a show, was really bitten by the bug, and then pretty much haven't looked back ever. You know, uh, I went to theater school. I went to Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh, which is an amazing program. It was so, 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 so great. Um, And then I've been in New York for about my my fifth year now. That's great. It's like you've you've graduated. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Exactly. uh, On to the finer things. Yeah, (laughs) it's one of those things that, you know, people come here all the time. And, uh, you know, I always tell it's a tale of attrition, usually, uh, in survival, (sighs) if you can make it. Um, so, uh, tell me with Blank My Life, mm-hmm. um, now this is a show that you created and, and you star in. Yes. Um, so you this is, this is your baby. Uh-huh. Uh, how did that come about? So it came about because honestly, um, I was dropped by my acting agent and at the time it was the first year. It was a year after I'd left school and I felt really just, you know, down and awful and, felt, you know, it felt like for the first time it felt like I'd really failed. Right. Because I'd kind of, you know, gotten into this cool school. I'd, I'd been really loved and adored there and gotten a lot of like great roles. You know, everything worked out. And then it felt like I was just like, oh, God, you know, I can't I can't seem to hack it. Um, so it. The way I would describe it to non-actors, it sort of feels like you're getting fired when you get dropped. Um, But I wanted to have something that I felt like I was in charge of. Uh, Lena Dunham, when she talks about the first stuff she started making, she calls them tiny compulsions. And I feel like that is exactly what the series started out as, was just being like, I have to make something, I have to make something. And then, you know, invariably you do it enough, you... You get better, you get better filmically, you meet people who are better than you are, and it's gotten bigger and bigger. And it is my baby, but I think the real success, I feel, is that, um, so I'm going into the, the third season, we're in post for that, and this was the first year that I felt like the members of my team owned it as much as I did, which is a huge accomplishment, and it's means that you choose the right people and you are willing to give up enough power and control to allow others to have a stamp artistically which which is hard it's not it's not always easy uh yeah and i i've talked to other people about this and and having especially you know work if you're working with a director uh working with uh you know different because 
as where you are in your current position, uh-huh. when you're, you can't be behind and in front of the camera at the uh-huh. same time. So you, you have to have that sort of circle of trust that you can build mm-hmm. with people. Now, when you first came up here, did you think like everybody got an agent kind of thing? Um, did you realize that that itself was a privileged position to be in? When, getting you know, out of school? you know, at the time, no, I didn't. Right. Because I went to a very, I don't want to say like, but it was like Carnegie Mellon is a pretty uh, like prestigious acting program. So most of the people I knew graduated with agents and m- the people who didn't, didn't really talk about it because it's, you know, it's in the community we're in, it feels embarrassing, even though now I know that it is not at all. And I try to, you know, uh, they just had the CMU showcase and I try to say all the time, you know, I'm not represented. I want with every fiber of my being to be represented, not because I'm not good enough on my own, but because it would be helpful to have someone else pushing me forward. But it's by no means the be all end all. And it doesn't mean you're not an actor if you're not represented, but no, at the time I didn't realize it was a privileged position. Right, and so that was kind of the rude awakening and the realization that you had. Um, and it's I think it's good that you know you were able to kind of take your fate in your own hands. Um, yeah. And because I think the hardest part about being an actor, I, I know a lot of actors, is that you you have to be chosen. Like you you go out for auditions and you're always mm-hmm. waiting on somebody else's project and you're always like. You always have that fear of uh, I'm not good enough, I'm mm-hmm. not pretty enough, I'm not tall enough, whatever it is. Totally. Uh, and uh, it's that in itself is a struggle to go through. Um, but you were able to kind of <laughs> uh, take your anxiety and make art out of it. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. I mean, I was incredibly anxious when I first left school. I'm, I would say that I'm still pretty driven sometimes to the point of being uh manic honestly but you know when I first graduated school I was like I was like a mess like I couldn't it it felt like I was a person who had never acted before you know and I'd been doing it at that time for you know like I mean I'd, I'd been a child but still eight years and I just felt like I lost all my confidence I was like barfing before auditions I was so 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 nervous and I think by creating something, you allow yourself to have agency, yeah. which makes you remember, you know, like whenever I go into a room now and like, God, like would love to be, you know, like cast on something that I'm not just doing, but, um, I feel like I'm there with the series. I'm there not just as a person looking to be chosen, but I'm there as someone who is an artist with their own opinion. I realize that I'm very, I'm pretty good as far as what I know what I like and I know the way that I want to present it. And I think that feels like power in itself too, is being like, oh, I I have a more clear idea of my own taste. Yeah, you're more of a, like a master of your own destiny. And, yeah, you know, I think um, there's a great um, in the in the book uh, "The Artist's Way" by Julia Cameron. Mm-hmm. Uh, she talks about doing cures envy, 
you know. And so mm-hmm. if you're envious of, of a position, just kind of do what they do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had this realization years ago when I was doing my first like real movie on 16 millimeter. I was directing, and I was having a massive anxiety attack every mm-hmm. day. Um, I was shooting the day of the Oscar night. And we were like shooting all day, and I was exhausted. And I always been kind of admirers of admirers of people that won rewards and stuff like that. And it immediately cured me of any of that notion. <laughs> I was like, oh, you know, I'm here doing what I want to do. I don't yeah. need awards. Uh, but this is the sweat, the sweat, and the pain that you have to go through in order to get there. Totally. Um, so it, it sounds like this was not only just a career move for you, but you know, sort of a life affirming. Oh uh, yeah, I mean like. The thing that I I wish I could uh, say is like, oh, it's been a huge career move for me, Jason. I have gone from zero to 65, and that's not the truth. Like, my career, I wouldn't say, has picked up due to the series, but it is me who's picked up due to the series. It's my confidence. It's myself. It's the belief that I am totally worthy because I'm like, God, I do something so much harder all the time. It's so much easier to just act than it is to like call up bar after bar and be like, will you let us film here? It's so much easier than trying to sag after a, you know, <laughs> like. Yeah, well, I, I think the other thing too is that you give yourself a resume. Yeah. You know, uh, I, you know, I've worked with actors before who were maybe novice producers who said, you know what, I've done a bunch of theater, but I have no reel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, well, how do you get one? Well, nobody's going to hire you if you don't have a reel. So this, for you, it gives you a tremendous lot of work and, and different mm-hmm. scenes and different situations that people can see you in uh, and see you perform and say, oh, you know what, she might be good for this because she did this on the, her show. Totally. But I think even more so, like, I mean, because I agree with you, right? But again, in my experience, I can't say like, oh, yeah, someone saw my reel and I got cast on SVU. Like, that hasn't happened to me yet, although I pray it does. And I do have a reel because of my web series. Uh, everyone in America. Which is an achievement in yes, itself. Yes, but I would say the biggest thing is that you get your reps in. You know, like, I have not been hired to act on camera other than I think, like, a Groupon commercial I did one time. Um, but other than that, you know, I would have no on-camera experience if I didn't do this. And you can, of course, do classes and stuff, and I think it's fine to get reps in any way you want to do it. But it's also like you're like, oh, okay, like I can do this. I can be vulnerable on camera. I can do it. It's not that different. And you get that practice because you you make the thing you do. You know. I, I think that's key, too. Like for, for me, I'm, I'm always shooting. I'm always trying to make my own stuff and always trying to get to a point where I feel more and more confident when I work on bigger and bigger projects. Mm-hmm. You know, the first time somebody handed me a check for ten grand and said, "We need you to make a thirty-second or two-minute spot," mm-hmm. it was like, "Oh Christ!" <laughs> like yeah. it was, it, it was daunting because you're like, "I'm playing with somebody else's money right yeah. now." Um, but you know, because I had done what I I did before, I had the confidence to be able to do that. Yeah. So maybe at the very like at the very least, it's just you know, it's practice. It's giving yourself a reel. And then, you know, hopefully more opportunities open up from there. And I know that with a series two, like now you have a product, Mm -hmm. you have something that you can package that's that comes from you and that you can, you know, try to take to a higher venue or Mm -hmm. um, get to a bigger places, which I understand that you're trying to do with the series right now. I am trying with every bit of my power to get the the episodes which are already out seen by as deep an audience as possible 
vast would also be nice, but I think the quality of the fan is more important for us to try to reach because we do pretty long form comment content. It's like, you know, 15 to 20 minutes. Um, and with all my power, I'm also trying to get season three, which is about a girl being haunted by the ghost of her dead best friend in a spooky small town. We were trying to get that distributed and or sold. I started watching the show. Yeah. Um, and I made myself. Did you like it? I went through season one. Uh-huh. And I was like, this is kind of a, because season one is very short episodes. Yeah. Very webisode oriented. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this is an interesting collection of scenes. Yeah. Then when I watched season two, I was like, okay, now it's more cohesive and now it feels more like a television show. Yeah. Um, totally. And you could see the quality step up, you know, from one season to another. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's the thing I've heard, too. It's like when you're pitching, if you're trying to pitch something that already exists, if you're working at a quality that's not the level they want to broadcast, mm-hmm. they go, oh, this isn't the aesthetic that we want. Not even thinking about, oh... You know, if they had money, it would look better. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, because the people that you're often pitching to, they just don't have that imagination. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I saw season two, I thought, yeah, this could be like somebody would put this on television. This, yeah, looked, the quality is good. The the acting went up, the writing uh-huh. went up. Like everything has gotten better. I'm sure. I also think that with season Thank three, that, that like it will be even better in season three. Yeah. Um, also, the continuing storylines, I thought, were uh-huh. like you had more of a sense of like a, a serial yeah, narrative kind of thing. Totally. Which is, you know, that's the that's what people are writing now in television. The the days of sort of episodic TV, you don't really see that much anymore. Mm-hmm. It's very much like especially if you're in a streaming medium. Like people want that Linear. I want to yeah, exactly. I want to yeah. binge watch this. I want to yeah. watch this um I want to go from episode 1 to, and that's what I do. I mean, I find myself it's like, "Oh my god, I lost a Saturday." Totally. Cuz Jessica Jones came out and uh, you know, it's midnight and I've watched 8 episodes totally. of it. Um and that's the kind of feeling you want. But yeah, I thought it was smart. It was funny. Thank um, you. I appreciate it. And it's, you know, it it it's got a quirkiness to it that makes it different from your average sort of uh, single girl sitcom mm-hmm. kind of thing. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad. Uh, and I, I mean, I imagine, are you writing every episode yourself? So, yes, I write every episode myself. I think season three, even more so than season two, is fully linear. You know, I think that there, it really isn't um, vignettish at all, which I think even season two is in its way. There's sort of like pockets of life. Um, but I write all the episodes myself, but this year I had an amazing collaborator named Kyle Wilson and season three culminates in a musical and he wrote the music for that. So I had no part of the music. That's awesome. Um, I'm getting, uh, I'm getting Buffy flashbacks, um, <laughs> and, uh, certain, certain other, uh, certain other, uh, comedies have been able to yeah. do that. It's a tough one to pull off. You were able to shoot that, and, and that's yeah, all in the well, can right now? so, um, I mean, like, as far as, like, shooting it, yeah. Honestly, like, but I feel like Jason, so it, it's not that it is a, a musical episode, right? But the characters in town, um, so my character, Susan, is haunted by the ghost of my dead best friend. Uh, in life, my dead bre- best friend was an actor, and now that he's haunting me, he still wants to be an actor. So he auditions for a community musical, and the last episode is the musical that they put on. So it's not like the whole thing was musical, but that section of it was. 
And we were so stressed out of it because we were going to record it all the day that day. Everybody was going to learn all the blogging and stuff, and we were going to, you know, um, sing to track. Right. So we wouldn't record audio. We would just use the playback. And we were all very stressed. We thought it was going to take forever. We had no idea what we were up against. And, of course, it kind of went fine. It was, like, the days that we were kind of like, oh, this will be a walk in the park. Like, we did one... You know, one just very talky episode that took forever, it felt like, just because of the amount of coverage. Yeah, people don't realize that, and I tell people that all the time. If you have, if you've got 20 pages of dialogue, it will take you forever. Yeah. Um, And uh, trying to... And people don't realize that's because you you know you've got to get the close-ups, you've got to get the over the shoulders, you totally. got to get the two shot, and the master shot, and then you know you're lucky that you know your actors aren't ready to drop dead by like hour ten totally. of going into that. Um, you know, I, from my own personal when I'm doing stuff like that, especially you know if I'm working on a small budget, I I shoot like Law and Order style. I do a lot of oneers and I try to get it you know try to get all the setups like in one shot, and then you do like five takes and you're. You're done. Totally. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, what, that's and that's the thing about comedy too. It's like comedy is hard. Like it's hard to know when you're gelling at the right rate, and you know, like, is this going to be funny? You know, like it's funny to me. It was funny when yeah. I read the script, but you know, who knows if other people are going to get this? Totally. I mean, I think the thing I feel comforted by is that honestly, I don't think the series is like. So funny. I would say it's more like dark comedy. So the thing I can allow myself to be comforted by, because one of the things that I did feel like is I wanted season three to be more funny than I thought season two was. I think season two is really, really great, but I think there are very few moments where you're kind of like, oh, I'm going to laugh out loud at this. And I wanted season three to be more active in the world and in the comedy world. But I still think that it's not like a ha-ha comedy, which allows me to feel comforted when I'm like, oh, I don't know if this is funny or not, but it's not like that funny a comedy, is it? When you um, when you write, do you have an audience in mind? Like, who, who do you think this show is for? I think this show, what I say is, this show is for millennials, um gay men looking at the Dear Evan Hansen open call and of course the paranormal but I think it's a show for many more Um, but when I think about writing I mean I didn't really think about my target audience this time I just knew that I wanted to write a story about loss I went through um, a breakup which really affected me the year before and I kept trying to write all these all these movie scripts about getting broken up with and about people going through heartbreak and stuff. And they were all just trash. Like, so, 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 so horrible, horrible. I think I have, I have three screenplays that are all just, like, totally lame. I don't think I'm going to revisit them because they're, like, awful. Well, you, then, got, you got them out of your system, though. Yeah. Which is a good thing. Sometimes yeah. you just need to do that. Sometimes you just you just need to get it down and be like, okay, that's out of my system. Totally. But I don't it's have not to even, touch it again. But it's not even that it was, I felt very disappointed that I wasn't, that I hadn't written the story about your heart breaking. But then, I don't know, when, you know, because we're like submitting to IFP, New York television film, like all the, all the like, you know, I want my pilot to be produced kind of things. Um, 
And in writing, like, why did you write this? I was like, oh my God, I didn't realize it, but this is the story about heartbreak. This is the story about losing the person you love. Even though I hadn't thought of it while I was writing it that way, it's exactly that. So if you could go back in time, Mm -hmm. if Alex now could go back in time and give Alex three years ago advice, what would you tell yourself before embarking on the adventure? You know what's funny is, like, I feel like with myself as an actor, I could go back and give myself so much advice. But because I knew nothing and I didn't have a community that knew much about filmmaking when I was coming up, I actually feel a lot of empathy with myself. And I feel like... You know, because I could say, like, oh, don't work with people who are crazy, but I learned a lot from working with people who are crazy, and I could say, like, work with people... The thing is, ultimately, I feel like I have now paired off the people who are crazy, and I've paired off the people who don't care about the project. Like, I feel like everyone working on the project pretty much cares about it, and is um, creatively crazy, but internally sane. And you had to do this work to get there. Yeah, but I feel like I couldn't... You know, the first two seasons we made on no budget so the only people who sort of who will work on it are uh okay no 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 it doesn't I mean because also some of my very good friends worked on it but it does mean that there must be a kind of mania to create which I had and some of the collaborators had and that can prove tricky and then second season there were people who didn't I think have enough I don't know, skin in the game. And I felt like that was tricky as well. You need people who are kind of the, the, have the same kind of crazy you have in order to latch on to something. Exactly. I think it's always, that's always a hard part is finding the, the people who are as, well, I, it's almost impossible to find people who are as into it as you are. But um, people who are willing to say, hey, I'm going to get something out of this and this is going to be valuable. Yeah. I mean, and also I'm using the word crazy, obviously, very uh, liberally right, right now. What I more mean to say is I think the sort of collaborators you really want are people who are able to put their whole heart into it, but are still able to have boundaries. Because I feel like the tricky part in collaboration, particularly where there's not enough, you know, cash like no one's getting paid at scale at all so you I as a creator have to learn the things that I'm like okay like everything is fine but this one thing has to get done right so it's very clear to everybody that like oh it's fine if you miss a deadline here and there but what we need is this you know and I think you know I when I I interviewed uh, Jenny Paul just uh, at the last episode that we did and she said the same thing Mm -hmm. she said it jokingly but set boundaries was a big thing to tell yourself Um, oh with her with herself or with her team with her with her when she when she started producing she was Mm -hmm. like set boundaries and uh and and i think that implies to many many situations um i have to wrap up but thank you so much for coming on the show so much for having me uh went by very fast and uh thank you out there once again for uh taking this trip down the rabbit hole uh for more episodes of this show you can go to uh, the website btrp.nyc slash podcast and uh, you can also find us on social media and let us know who you want us to talk to and what topics you want us to cover on future episodes. Uh, that's it for now. I'd like to thank my guest, Alex Spieth, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>